How many years have you spent seeking and studying the Lord in the scriptures? It's a pretty simple question, and yet most of us, if we're honest, would say years? How many years? Well, maybe I've had a few classes. Um, you know, I, I've read some texts, maybe even a book or two. But I can't honestly say years, and it should convict you. Because one of the things that we as Christians are lacking in is knowing how to talk about God and how to demonstrate God, the characteristics, his attributes throughout all of Scripture. And to pile on top of that, the fact that many times we almost avoid the Old Testament like a plague. Uh, or as scholars and uh, Jews would say, the Tanakh. And yet we shouldn't be afraid of the Old Testament. We shouldn't be afraid to use the Old Testament. We certainly shouldn't be afraid to study the Old Testament. And yet we avoid it. Why? So as we continue with these uh, discussions and some of my experiences with, Je with the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, I'd like to share another passage, or uh, technically two, um, that will continue to just defend the deity of Christ. And in this, uh, while most would probably stick to the New Testament, yes, we're going to start there, but we're going to head off back into the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to look at some passages in Exodus and Numbers. So we're going to go right into the Torah. So the way that this conversation sort of began, uh, yes, it was in the Kingdom Hall. And in fact, I was speaking with uh, the same gentleman and yet another one that he had brought along for this uh, this time. And we had kind of ended our discussion before on talking about God in the Old Testament. And the reason it came up is because in the study, we had come across uh, the verse that the Jehovah's Witnesses use, which is John 1.18. And I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. <coughs> but just listen and you'll, and you'll see what I mean. So this is uh, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now, if that sounds kind of weird, you know, it says uh, the only begotten God. Yes, that er, there is a textual variant there. Some translations will say son. So, uh, the difference between theos and huias. Uh, but the message is the same. But what, what the Jehovah's Witnesses do is they'll take that first, just that first half of the sentence where it says, um, no one has seen God at any time, and they do a hard stop. They say, see, no one has seen God at any time. And so when they had told me this, I said, well, that's strange. You know, what do you do with all the passages in the Old Testament, especially where... You know, you've got God and two angels walking up to Abraham. You've got 
uh, Jacob wrestling with God. You've got all of these different accounts. And their basic answer was, well, those were all just visions. I said, okay. So I said, well, you, you study these things, and when we meet again, we'll discuss it. So as I had mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, I was back in the Kingdom Hall with them. There was the two gentlemen. And so I immediately raised this, and I said, well, what did you, what did you study? What did you learn? And they really, it was almost like they wanted to avoid the question because, again, they just kind of murmured that, well, it's, they were just visions. You know, it was, there were always visions or it was, it was just an angel. And I said, well, hold up. Let's actually examine these things. And one of the, you know, I had been on a personal study of, of finding Christ in the Old Testament. And so what I did was I said, let's, let's go back to Exodus. Because there's a passage that I would like to cover with you guys. Um, and so I did. I flipped back to Exodus 24. And the reason I had taken them there was because as I was doing my daily listening, you know, it's a lot easier for me to listen through the scriptures on my way to work. Yeah, I had an hour drive in and an hour drive home. So two hours of listening to the Bible, you can certainly absorb quite a bit. Um, But I said, let's turn to Exodus 24. And I laid the picture out. And I said, you know, this is this is the passage where um, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. You know, Israel, the nation, had been just removed from Egypt. There was the Passover, and then the parting of the Red Sea, and they pass through, and God basically drowns the Egyptian army that was chasing them. And then once they kind of establish themselves on the other side and begin their journey, then this is where uh, they approach Mount Sinai. I, and if I'm not mistaken, it's also named Mount Horeb. But they, they come up and they camp out there. And this is when God calls Moses up. And in Exodus 20 is where you get the 10 commandments. And then 20 through 23 continues kind of more of a series of laws. And I said, but in chapter 24... There's something interesting here. So I took him to there, and I began with just uh, verse 1, and it says, Then he said to Moses, and again, this is speaking of God, who had just given these laws, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words of the Lord, has, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as a peace offering, as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. 
So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then verse 9 is where I wanted to focus. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Verse 10, And they saw the God of Israel. Yes, it says that. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So I kind of paused there, and I said, So you just heard it. Verse 9, they saw the God of Israel. Verse 11, they saw the God of Israel. I said, I would say that's pretty clear in the text. But oh how corrupt the New World Translation is. And this is, again, one of those things that the Watchtower does literally to uh, force their view upon the text. Because to them, <clears throat> what it means that no man has seen God at any time means just that. But as Christians who understand that there is a triune God, that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can harmonize this. Because even in John, we recognize that it's speaking of the Father. Oftentimes in the New Testament, God is referencing the Father. Not every time. Sometimes it's, it's the being of God, uh, or it'll even use Jesus, but that's, that's for another teaching. So to keep that mindset, the New World Translation changes it and when you and i'm pulling it up right now when you go back to jw.org and you go under not bible teachings but publications and then you go under online bible <coughs> you can pull it up and so when you pull up the new world translation the, the 2013 this is the the study edition it's i think it just has extra notes that you can click on um, and you go to exodus chapter 24 come up and just for the sake of focus on what I wanted to, to get at I'll go to verse 9 and it says in the New World Translation <coughs> Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel period under his feet was what seemed like a sapphire pavement and it was as pure as the heavens themselves. He did not harm the distinguished men of Israel and they saw a vision of the true God and ate and drank. And then it ends that paragraph. So you see what this says? It's in it. <coughs> uh, verse 10, they saw the God of Israel under his feet, what seemed like sapphire pavement seemed like, uh, and it was pure as heaven themselves. But then again, verse 11, when it says they saw a vision of the true God and ate and drank, Vision's not in the text, but they've added it to make the point. So, I guess as any good Jehovah's Witness elder, the gentleman I had been speaking with already for a while now, he uh, pointed this out and he says, well, no, it says, it says vision, so it's a vision there. 
And this is where, when you take into the context, pay attention to what it says. And I said, well, okay, that sounds interesting. But I have a question. If it was simply a vision, why then does it specifically state that in verse 11, yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles? If it was simply a vision, then were they actually in the presence of God? No. So why would there be any harm of God stretching out his hand to destroy them? Remember, because he's telling them to treat him as holy. And in fact, earlier on, he even said, if anybody approaches the mountain, you're not even to step on the mountain yourself, but you're rather to spear them or shoot an arrow at them. Because you yourself dare not touch the mountain. And so with that, he really didn't have an answer. So that's why context is so important. I said, so, okay, let's continue on. I got another passage for you as well that I'd like to look at real quick. And he kind of said, oh, okay, fine. And so I flipped over <coughs> to Numbers chapter 12. And again, another section that I, at the time I had been listening through, because I was trying to go through the, uh, the Torah, the first five books. And... Um, and I had remembered a passage that really stuck out in my mind. So this was one of those times that the Lord just kind of led me there quickly, brought it to mind. And so I took him to Numbers chapter 12. And <clears throat> I'll just start with verse 1. And I read this to them as well. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said... Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now in brackets, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow, and Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. And I pointed out and I said, so you got that, right? I said, the Lord comes down to the tent of meeting, which is what he had been doing. He comes down, calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to the tent. And he says in his words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision, not so with my servant Moses. 
And of course, at this point, this guy is, you know, he had flipped to it <coughs> on his tablet. And he's kind of, you know, reading this and pondering it. So I'm pulling it up here. And you'll see what I mean with the, the New World Translation. So Numbers chapter 12. So I'll read it in the New World Translation. Verse 4, Jehovah suddenly said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Go out, the three of you, to the tent of meeting. So three of them went out. And Jehovah came down in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. Both of them went forward. He then said, Hear my words, please. If there was a prophet of Jehovah among you, I would make myself known to him in a vision, and I would speak to him in a dream. But it is not that way with my servant Moses. He is being entrusted with all my house. Face to face I speak to him, openly, not by riddles. And the appearance of Jehovah is what he sees. Why then did you not fear to speak against my servant, against Moses? So Jehovah, Jehovah's anger burned against them, and he departed from them. The cloud moved away from over the tent, and look, Miriam was struck with leprosy as white as snow. Then Aaron turned towards Miriam, and he saw that she was struck with leprosy. So it's pretty clear. Jehovah came down in the pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance of, of the tent, and called Aaron. And even when you get into it, you know, it says verse 7, but it is not that way with my servant Moses. And so I'm pointing this out to him. And even in his own text, it verifies what I'm saying. This is the Lord in presence. And it, he, he even makes the claim it's not a vision. It's not the same with his servant Moses. Now, yes, they throw in, in the appearance of Jehovah. They try and use that as a, well, it, 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 he didn't really see him. You know, they had to change uh, what the New American Standard says, and he beholds the form of the Lord. They, they, they try and lessen the evidence there. But it's still pretty clear because the context states the Lord, or in this case, Jehovah, comes down. And, you know, this guy's thinking about this. He's a little perplexed, and he really doesn't have an answer. And I said, listen, I know you struggle to harmonize this. I have no problem. And he's thinking about it, and he goes, no, hold on. See, are you, see if, if what you're saying is true, that means the Bible contradicts itself. And I said, no, it doesn't, because I can easily harmonize this by understanding that in John 1.18, when it says, no man has seen God at any time, it is speaking of the Father. That's why it continues and says, but the unique Son has explained him the unique God in the bosom of the Father that is referring to Jesus. And I said, this is Jesus. This is the Son. It has always been his job to demonstrate who God is in the presence of people because God is infinite and man is finite. So one of the roles that Jesus has always done is to show humans, show people who God is. I said, that makes perfect sense to me. That makes perfect sense with our system. But now you've got the problem. Because as you just said, <laughs> it's a contradiction in your system. And so 
I wanted to point this out because again, it's another one of those tools that if you just go to the text, if you just read through the text, don't throw out a bunch of single verses and think that that's going to be enough. Demonstrate how the scriptures harmonize. Demonstrate how these things flow together and how there's only one proper meaning you can get from this. And so, and I also encourage you, study the Old Testament. Pay attention to how God speaks. Pay attention to just different interactions. And think about that. Think about it in John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time. So who was it? Who exactly was it that Abraham walked with? Who was it that Jacob wrestled? In fact, if you really want a, a great one, uh, let, me just, let me just tease you a little bit here. If you ever go to the book of Judges, I think it's one of the books that most people simply bypass. Again, that's after Joshua, for those that are wondering, where is that? If you go to Judges, and hopefully this will at least spark your interest in studying. You go to chapter 6. You have a man named Gideon who was visited. And if you go to chapter 6, verse 11. I want you to pay attention to something. So in Judges 6, then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in the Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abezerite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. He's hiding is what's going on. And, Im- and immediately you go, the angel of the Lord. So are we speaking of an angel? What is this? Well, First off, the literal meaning or literal term angel in the Hebrew is messenger. So the messenger of God. What is the role of Jesus, even in the New Testament? He is the word of God. He gives the message of God. It's an interesting statement. And so follow this. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Who is with him? Pay attention. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, that's lowercase like master, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him. It's verse 14. doesn't say the angel of the Lord. It says, The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Now pause. The focus didn't change. This isn't another person that just entered into this conversation. We had the angel Lord came and sat, verse 11. The angel Lord appeared to him, verse 12. Then Gideon is speaking to him in verse 13. And then verse 14 just says, the Lord looked at him. 
So which one is it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, well, it's Jesus for one, pre-incarnate. But pay attention. The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Verse 15. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, again, speaking of God. Now, I know the Jews would be offended, but this is, this is the term, literally, Yahweh, the Lord. Or, in the Jehovah's Witnesses, it would be Jehovah. <clears throat> but the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, a common phrase, right? Doesn't Moses say this to the Lord? Doesn't, if I'm not mistaken, Abraham say this to the Lord? But if I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and brought them out to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, okay, another term now, right? And yet it's still just the two having the same conversation. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah, Ophrah of the Abezerites. So, again, the two having a conversation. The angel of the Lord, right? Then you got to say, well, is this, is this an angel? like what most people would think? Or is this the Lord, right? I am, the I am. Yes. And if that's confusing, think about this. When we receive God's name in Exodus 3, who is it that is speaking? Well, it's God, isn't it? God gives us his name. But... Pay attention to the context, because Exodus 3, verse 3, as I'm turning there, forgive me. Let's see, verse 2, sorry. Actually, I'll just back up. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, 
The bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. You got that, right? Which one is it? Just said, again, verse 2, the angel of the Lord, right? The messenger of Yahweh. Verse 4, when the Lord saw, right? When Yahweh saw, God called to him from the midst of the bush. God called to him from the midst of the bush. Are you starting to see a pattern here? God has always used right, the Son, the one who took on flesh, the one who became our mediator, the one who shows us the character and nature of God. That has always been the role of the Son to directly communicate with God's people. And at times when a form for us to grasp, a form for us to understand, because what is God? God is spirit, right? How do we, we can't understand that. So God in his mercy... And in revelation that we can understand shows us a form. The sun comes down and walks with his people. And here's another one. Going back to Exodus 24, back up to Exodus 19 again. Because these are things that you must be able to demonstrate in the text and just as the Jehovah's Witnesses still only think it's, hey, it's just a vision, but Exodus, if I remember correctly, so I know I'm turning there just off the top of my head. Uh, okay, so chapter 19 few things to point out, but I'm just going to begin at verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, and I believe it's First uh, Peter chapter 2 that he actually uses that verse as a reference. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, 
all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now pay attention here, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. Side note, one of the weird things that the Jehovah's Witnesses also mentioned to me, at least in this, and I don't know if it's dogmatic that they all believe, but they said that God has actually only spoken three times audibly. Uh, and I believe all three times were with Jesus, and I forget, I think it's the baptism, the Mount of Transfiguration, and I believe it's John 12, either chapter 11 or 12, where he says, essentially, I've glorified you and I will glorify you. Um, but in one of our, just as a side note, in one of our conversations, they mentioned that, and I thought, that's really strange. Because how many times did I hear, just like in this, verse 9, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, now pay attention to, again, who is speaking. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Hold up. Verse 10, the Lord has also said to Moses, So the Lord is speaking, but now the Lord is speaking in third person. Did you ever think about that? If it's one being and one person, which is not the Trinitarian view, the Trinitarian view is one being of God and three co-equal and co-eternal persons. So there's a, <laughs> so this is <laughs> a single person speaking in the third person about himself or now maybe we have here the father speaking of the son coming down just something unique something you always got to think about when you come across these it's things that my mind always starts to, to think about so that's uh verse 10 the lord also said to moses go to the people consecrate them today and tomorrow let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day for on the third day the lord will come down on mount sinai in the sight of all the people you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people, and they washed their garments and said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day when, he, it, was, when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They're terrified, right? Verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So again, the whole point I wanted to read chapter 19, because it carries over and plays into chapter 24, where they said, no, this is just a vision. Well, is it? I think the context is fairly clear. God descended down. And again, chapter 24, verse 9, and they saw the God of Israel. Verse 11, and they saw the God of Israel. And you have that um, sapphire, or sometimes referred to the Sea of Glass. I think it's mentioned again in Ezekiel. It's mentioned in Revelation when you when they see heaven. So the Bible is consistent with this. So what do you do with John 1.18? As the Jehovah's Witnesses say, no man has seen God at any time, is what it says. What do you do with it? How do you reconcile that? Well, when you have the Son, when you have a triune God, it's actually quite easy. In fact, it's quite amazing to know that this has always been a perfect work done through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout all of history, not just the New Testament. So hopefully you can chew on that. Hopefully you can use these texts. Again, do not be afraid to take them to the texts. Show them Scripture. Show them the truth of God's Word and demonstrate how the context really only gives you one possible answer. And may Christ receive all glory.